This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The Books of Kings in the Bible records more than 380 years of the history of Israel and its monarchy, from the last part of David's rule to the end of the kingship in Judah, and emphasizes the role of prophets along the way. Join us as we speak with Walter Meyer III about the first of his two-volume commentary on 1 Kings, covering chapters 1-11, through 11, The Rise and Failures of Solomon's Kingship. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Walter Meyer III earned his Ph.D. from Harvard University in Near Eastern Languages and is Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary. Walt, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm very happy to be you know, on this program and looking forward to dialoguing with you. So, Walt, tell us about yourself and how you embarked on such in-depth studies of kings. Well, I'm an ordained pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I'm professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I've been here as a professor since the end of 1989. And I teach in the exegetical department, and my specialty is Old Testament and also then Hebrew. As far as being involved, you know, in the writing of this commentary, that came about because the editors of the Concordia Commentary Series invited me to write the volumes on First and Second Kings. And so that was a tremendous opportunity. I thank the Lord for that, for that opening, and it's been a privilege to work on these commentaries. And I did finish First Kings. They came out in two volumes, First Kings 1 to 11, and then First Kings 12 to 22. And currently then I'm working on the volume on Second Kings, um, that's one volume or two, I cannot say at this time. <laughs> now, to begin, should we think of First and Second Kings as two distinct but continuous works or as one book? For example, does First Kings have its own rhetorical structure? Michael, I see them as one book, as one continuous history. And so this history then is involving the Hebrew monarchy. And it begins with the very end of David's reign, that was still, of course, the united monarchy. And then it continues on through Solomon's reign and then the division of the nation into two kingdoms after Solomon, so the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But pursuing this history then, you know, tracing this history of the Hebrew monarchy until finally the northern kingdom came to an end and then also the southern kingdom. So that is the continuous storyline there, dealing with the Hebrew monarchy, and therefore it's really one history. 
And as we look at, you know, our English translations, one first Kings flows right into Second Kings. There's not an interruption there. There's not a break. It just continues on uh, in a very um, smooth manner. Tell us about the composition of Kings. Who authored or composed the work? Well, that is, you know, a very important question for which <laughs> we will not have a definite answer this far into heaven. So it's a, a much debated issue, and there have been various proposals put forth by scholars down through the years. And this can become quite complex as far as, you know, answering this question is concerned. Not getting into all the various debates and positions, you know, having looked through Kings and also uh, being aware of the tradition of the rabbis, I, you know, came to the conclusion, and so I put this forth in the first volume, you know, answering that question, I came to the conclusion that Jeremiah was the author of Kings, and that would be all of Kings, except for, except for the last four verses of Second Kings. And I believe that those verses, dealing with the release of the Judean king from prison by the Babylonian king and his being treated kindly, uh, that occurred, you know, back about the year 560, 561. And Jeremiah, by that time, would have been a very, very old man. Chances are he would not have been alive. Further, the last we know about Jeremiah is that he was carried down into Egypt against his will, but he was carried down into Egypt. And that's where we leave him then, as far as we know from Scripture. And so for Jeremiah to write those last four verses concerning what happened in Babylonia, and at that later date, I think those last four verses were added by Daniel. Daniel, who was, of course, there operating in Babylonia, very important official, but also a devout believer and aware of the writing of Jeremiah. Uh, I think that he added that conclusion. But otherwise, aside from those last four verses, my position is that Jeremiah was the author of this history, but I set that forth recognizing that, you know, with new information coming in and new discoveries, there might have to be some modifications. How would you say Kings is different from the book of Chronicles, which covers similar history? Well, Kings, once again, is, is tracing the history of the Hebrew monarchy. And then in doing that, it also gives us a history, uh, uh, at least a partial history of the history of the prophets, because the prophets then interacted with the kings. And so we have those two acting side by side, a king and a prophet, and then often interacting. But beyond that, see, the history of kings and written to explain why Israel came to an end as a nation. First of all, there was the division of the United Kingdom into the two kingdoms, and then Kings goes on to explain why each of those two kingdoms came to an end. That's the basic purpose of Kings. And of course, it was because of the people's faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, they're not holding to the covenant that was established back in the time of Moses. They're going after other gods. And God was patient and long-suffering, and he sent his prophets to warn them, to try to get them to repent. But the sad story is the majority of the people in both kingdoms did not listen to the prophets, and they 
continued on in their wrong way, and so God finally had to execute, execute proper, righteous just judgment and justice on both kingdoms, and so both kingdoms came to an end. And that's the story that Kings gives to us. Now, Chronicles, I believe, is a post-exilic work, so after the Babylonian exile came to an end. And written then in the post-exilic period, it is reviewing the history of the nation for the people now at this later point. And of course, there's much overlap with kings, but at the same time, there are different nuances, different emphases. And I think that at least one of those emphases is this. The author of Chronicles wrote his history to emphasize what was positive in the nation's history in the past. And to hold that up before the eyes of his readers and encourage them to follow these good precedents, uh, what was positive, and have that as a blueprint for the nation to move forward then in the future. And of course, emphasized loyalty to God, proper worship, also God's covenant with David and the basic meaning of that covenant the fundamental truth that from the line of David, the house of David, the dynasty of David would come the promised savior. So I think Chronicles has a different intent to emphasize what was good in the nation's history, to have that as a guide for the nation as it moved forward now in the future. Walt, would you speak to us about the significance of the Solomon section of Kings, which is First Kings chapters 2 through 11? Now, the Solomon section is very interesting, and there is much good news in this section. And this is especially then the matter that Solomon, in the first part of his reign, was a faithful king. He was zealous for the Lord, exercising proper leadership in the land. And then Solomon took up the project of building the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, this was something that his father David, of course, wanted to do, but God said, no, it's going to be built by a man of peace. And that was, of course, then peace man Solomon. And all that went into this and all the effort that went into this. And then finally, the completion of the temple. And then in 1 Kings chapter 8, Uh, There we have the accounts of the dedication and inauguration of this newly built temple in Jerusalem. This was done with much joy. We can see the completion of the temple as actually the completion of the Exodus, which took place at the time of Moses, you know, centuries before. But God brought his people out of Egypt, and then eventually, you know, he brought them to the promised land to take that land with this purpose, that there would be his sanctuary there in this land. And there the people, according to God's plan, would carry on proper worship of the Lord, and they would enjoy then his physical and spiritual blessings until one day from them in that land would come the promised Savior. And so that completion of the Exodus we see now in 1 Kings chapter 8. And I would hold... That's the high point of the history of Israel. And this is a nation led by a faithful king, and the people are faithful to the Lord under his good influence, and now they have this magnificent sanctuary, which was a witness to the surrounding nations. Unfortunately, the history does not end there. 
in First Kings chapter 8. And you might say, Michael, that after that, it's basically a, you know, a downward spiral after First Kings 8. Now, there are some interruptions in that, but what we see then, just in the, in the reign of Solomon, we see decline with this man personally, spiritual decline. And there are you know, possible reasons that we could put forth for that. But certainly at the end, when we have you know the conclusion with regard to his reign in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see a man now who has all these wives, and many of them are foreign wives who bring in their foreign false religion, and they're having an influence in Solomon, and is building shrines for their false gods and joining them in their false worship. And so we have then this very unhappy and tragic scene at the end. Solomon was wonderfully blessed by the Lord in the beginning of his reign with, with wisdom. And more than that, God gave him also riches and, and fame. But despite this wisdom that he was granted from the Lord, um, he had this spiritual decline. And so the scene in 1 Kings chapter 11 is a very tragic one, as already mentioned. And basically, you know, after that, it's, it's you know, the nation in decline. So that's what I see with regard to the significance of 1 Kings chapters 1 to 11, the high point of the history of Israel. And there was so much potential there for a bright future. But you might say that Solomon and then the nation following him blew it. Walt, we'll pause here and look forward to part two of our interview, which will cover your second volume of 1 Kings, chapters 12 through 22. Thank you for being with us today. It's been great to dialogue with you, Michael. I'm you know, eager to talk about this book, and so it's been a, a joy for me. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. We'll see you next time.